Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. Colossians chapter number one. And uh, we've been looking at this uh, letter uh, that Paul wrote to these uh, believers at this church in Colossae. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how the gospel had shaped their lives um, in so much that he emphasized those three things. Um, he talked about their faith in Christ, their love that they have for the saints. And all of that was because of the hope that was laid up for them in heaven, not just in heaven itself, but in Jesus Christ, who is in heaven. Um, and the verses that we're going to look at today is part of this prayer that Paul is talking about them and, and, and making requests for them. And actually, this prayer begins in verse number three, because he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Um, and remember, Paul had, had never really actually met these people. Um, he didn't plant this church. Uh, this was a result of Epaphras who planted the church. He was a faithful minister uh, there in the church. And Epaphras was visiting Paul and telling him of the work that was being done in uh, Colossae there. And uh, Paul was in prison and Paul learns of their faith. He, and so he writes this letter to them to encourage them to talk to them about some things that had been going on. Uh, There's pressures that have been happening uh, within the, the church, the culture, cultural uh, pressure, but then also there was evidently some uh, false teaching that was going on in this church where uh, they were emphasizing spiritual things. We'll, we'll kind of look at some of that uh, here this morning. But um, continuing on from what Paul will uh, had talked about, about how the gospel had um, changed their life, he's actually, in this prayer, he's going to talk about some helpful things that will really help them measure their faith in Christ, like where they are as a Christian. Like, um, I guess you would, if, if they were like uh, ways that Paul said, this is, this is how you should be living your life. And he says, if, if you've been saved, if you've been uh, changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, then these are some things that you should be looking for uh, in your Christian faith walk. And so Paul prays for these uh, believers. And uh, in this prayer, which is a really great prayer, and there's a lot of prayers in Scripture that Paul prays, and it'd be really good for you to read some of those prayers because, I mean, they're, they're full of theology, they are full of uh, just Christ-centered um, words that, that bring life, and it just really shows us exactly what God wants us uh, to do in our lives, and um, I think it'd be very helpful. But in this prayer, um, it's, it's helpful to these believers, and I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a, like a spiritual rut before? You know what a rut is, right? It's a grave with both ends knocked out, right? Okay, so here is, here is Paul, and he's giving them some things to help them that more than likely, they may have been in a spiritual rut, um, but this prayer is something that I would think be helpful to 
individuals that might be in a spiritual rut because it just, it just really centers on God. It takes the focus off of self, and it really puts the, uh, the priorities where they need to be. And uh, through prayers like this one and others that Paul has uh, written down in Scripture, I think we can learn a lot on how to not only pray for ourselves, but we can pray for our families, we can pray for others in the church, because these are scriptural prayers. I mean, these are Holy Spirit-inspired prayers, and I think we can pray these prayers, and this is something that God would definitely use uh, in other people's lives and your own. So in this prayer that we're going to look at today, Paul is going to share his prayer request with them and how he is praying for them, and he tells them this that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that they will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him in every way. And in doing that, He's going to give us four things that will show us how to walk in a pleasing way to the Lord. And so if you've had an encounter with the resurrected Lord Jesus and you've been born again uh, through the message of the gospel, then there will be evidence in the way that you are walking or should be walking. And uh, this is part of Paul's prayer here to encourage them in how they should be living, to have gospel-shaped lives, that the gospel is continually shaping their life and how they live or their manner of walk. So this is what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. A life shaped by the gospel will live a life that is pleasing to God. A life that is shaped by the gospel will live a life that is pleasing to God. So let's take note here of a couple things here. First of all, gospel-shaped living is knowing His will. Let's read our verse here. And so from the day we heard, this is His prayer, is continuing. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so if we want to live a life that is pleasing to God, and we want to live a life that is uh, worthy of the Lord and how to live, this was Paul's prayer for these believers here, and it should be our desire as well. And it should be our prayer that we would be filled with the knowledge of His will or knowing His will. Notice what Paul says here. He's praying something very specific. He wants them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. I can't tell you how many times I've talked with people about saying, well, I don't know what the will of God is for my life. I just spoke with the individual, I believe it was last week on the phone, um, that had contacted us through one of our ads that we run, and they were questioning about what the will of God is for their life. And so I just said, well, very plainly, God's Word actually tells us what the will of God is. Um, and I went through a few of those scriptures that says, this is the will of God, right? Um, this is the will of God. Well, here I believe that Paul is actually saying, this is what I want you to know, the knowledge of His will, that you might have that knowledge of God's will. God actually reveals His will and His desires for every believer. God's will is not something that is mysterious or something that is unknown or, you know, just kind of floating out there and it's like, well, you know, it could be the will of God, it couldn't be the will of God, I'm not really sure. 
God's will is very specific. And when it comes to something like this, which we'll see in just a few moments, that he actually tells us what the will of God is for every single believer. And so Paul here is asking that they might know God's moral will as it is revealed in his word. Notice that word, be filled, so that you may be filled with this knowledge is a prayer that they would be controlled by the knowledge so that it would govern every thought, every word, and deed. And since God's moral will is a reflection of his holy character, Paul's prayer is that these new believers would grow in a, to know God himself as he has revealed himself in his word. And so if we want to know what the will of God is, if we want to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, then as we are reading God's word and as God's word is revealing who God is to us, then that should change how we think about who God is, what he is doing, and what he wants us to do. It should control every thought, every deed, every action that we are doing in our lives. And this is Paul's prayer for them, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. In other words that their theology, what they believe about God, would affect their philosophy in how they live. And really, that's what it comes down to, because if we really believe what God's Word says in His Word, it should affect in how we live. It should affect how we treat people. It should affect how we uh, react in certain situations. And so if our theology is not really deep in understanding who God is, it's really going to have an impact on how we live our life. And so it's so important that we are in God's word and we're being filled with the knowledge of God's will. It's interesting to note that uh, here in the early first century that there were false teachers uh, in this church that obviously had infiltrated this church, which actually taught that uh, you could gain a secret knowledge that God would grant by doing specific spiritual things that they emphasized. Uh, we get a glimpse of this later in this letter, in, uh, actually in Colossians chapter 2, uh, verses number 16 through 23. He says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up with reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through his joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world... Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have an indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And so evidently there were some false teachers in this church that were promoting this spirituality that had nothing to do with God's word, that had nothing to do with Christ, but it was all these external things. It was seeking some extra spiritual revelation or extra spiritual uh, euphoria, whatever it may have been, okay? 
And I think that that is a problem that's still in the church today. We see that. Um, And I think you need to be aware of that, that if people are teaching things that are extra biblical things, or if you do this this way, then you will have this spiritual experience, right? We need to be very careful with that because a lot of those practices are actually uh, wrapped up in the occult. Um, And so there's a lot of occultic practices that have been brought into the church. And so you need to be very, very careful with what you're listening to or what you're reading, okay? Because we don't want to touch that kind of stuff. And so this is a problem in uh, this church here. Um, And notice to counter this claim, Paul actually uses these words here to really counter this this spiritual experience by using words such as this. He uses words such as all or every. He says all spiritual wisdom and understanding, Colossians 1.9, fully pleasing to him, Colossians 1.10, bearing fruit in every good work, that's Colossians 1.10, strengthened with all power, Colossians 1.11, and for all endurance and patience and joy, Colossians 1.11. Uh, you can also look at uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse number 3, as what he says here, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, verses 9 and 10 in uh, Colossians chapter 2 as well, he talks about, uh, he says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So get the picture here. Here's these believers in this church, and there's false teachers in the church that might be going up to him saying, hey, man, you know, if you do this, God would really, really reveal himself to you. Or, hey, you know, if you start practicing your Christianity this way, God would really be pleased with you. See, that's not true. Because we already have all the fullness of God. We've been given everything that we ever need in Jesus Christ, and we have his word. We don't need extra spiritual experiences to experience the reality of who God is as it's revealed in Scripture. We already have the Holy Spirit. We don't need more of the Holy Spirit, do we? No, he needs more of us, right? Okay. So it's very important that we are taking God at his word and we're seeing what God says in his word, and we're holding fast to Christ, not extra spiritual experiences that will lead us astray, as it had here in uh, this church. And so he wants us to know that every spiritual need that we have is to be found fully in Christ. We don't need a revealing of secret knowledge that we've never heard of by doing or emphasizing something other than what God has already given us previous church that my wife and I were in, um, there was a lot of things that were emphasized that were man-made traditions. And in the sense that if you do these man-made traditions, then God is going to be pleased with you. Well, I'm sorry, that's not scriptural, right? Um, So you just got to really make sure that we're holding fast to Christ and his word. I want you to see how Paul is going to emphasize this this true knowledge of God's will. Because look what he says here, and he does so with two words. Look at Colossians 1.9. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So if we want to know what the will of God is for our life, he says it must happen in two things. With spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
So first of all, the knowledge of God wants us to, the knowledge of how God wants us to live requires spiritual wisdom. Notice it's not worldly wisdom or worldly understanding. The emphasis is on spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. So if you want to know how to live a gospel-shaped life, you are going to need spiritual wisdom and understanding which come from God's spirit and stand in contrast to the worldly wisdom of the false teachers is what uh, he says here in Colossians 2.23, that these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping in the indulgence of the flesh. You see, wisdom we find throughout Scripture is emphasized a lot in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 9, 10 reminds us, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So what is wisdom? Well, the main idea behind the word is skill. Somebody who has wisdom has a skill. We find it, uh, for example, like the men who were building the tabernacle, he talks about there in Exodus that these men were skilled. They had wisdom in how to do their craft, and, and they, they were very wise, and God used that uh, in that way. And so just as a skilled carpenter can take a piece of rough wood and shape it according to a plan into a beautiful and useful piece of furniture, so the wise person then is able to take the rough elements of life and shape them according to God's plan into something beautiful and useful to Him. Spiritual wisdom requires learning about God and how He wants us to live so that our lives will not be ruined by sin, but rather will become a finely crafted product that will cause others to be attracted to the Maker who displays His glory in us. Secondly, the knowledge of how God wants us to live requires spiritual understanding. Wisdom and understanding are somewhat the same, but there is just a little difference. You see, wisdom refers to knowing how God's Word commands us to live, whereas understanding refers to insight, perception, or the ability to discern between things. Understanding enables us to put the pieces of wisdom together in specific situations. Let me give you a good example of this in 2 Timothy 2.7. Paul uses all these analogies and he's teaching Timothy how uh, the church needs to be uh, shepherded and how the church needs to be taken care of. And he gives these analogies, one of a soldier, he gives one of an athlete, he gives one of a farmer. And then Paul tells Timothy this in uh, 2 Timothy 2.7, Consider what I am saying, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And so the Lord would enable Timothy to grasp mentally the truths of those analogies and put them together so as to gain insight into how he should conduct his ministry. When we, for example, if you go through the book of Proverbs, um, one, one that I can really kind of think of, uh, it talks about warning men, right? Be, be on the lookout, men. You need to watch for the woman that is standing in the street, right, calling, saying, hey, come on, come on, come on over here with me, right? Uh, and you need to be very wise 
And you need to consider that and understand that, that there are traps that are set out there, right, that would bring destruction and destroy us. And so that's kind of what Paul is trying to say here. You need to have wisdom as God reveals it in his word, but then you need to take that wisdom and actually apply it in the life situations that you find yourself in. And so that's how God's word works. And that's how he speaks to us and uses us. So as we read God's word, we are given spiritual truths that help us live. This is the wisdom. And the truths can and will shape us if we use them correctly and allow ourselves to be under the authority of God's word. This is the understanding. And so as we grow in the knowledge of how God wants us to live, the result then is that we will walk worthily of the Lord, pleasing Him in every way. And see, this goes completely contrary to what these false teachers were promoting in this church. They were teaching, well, if you just do this, if you just worship this way, if you just maybe do it like this, or if you do it this way, or you do it that way, then you will have spiritual understanding. Then you will be enlightened with knowledge. Well, that's not what Scripture teaches, right? They were moving away from Scripture. The other thing you need to be very careful about is when people use Scripture and they twist it or they pervert it to say something that it's not saying. That's why it's so important that we know our Bibles, that we know what the Word of God says, okay? So the gospel-shaped living is knowing His will. How do we get to know His will? It's through wisdom and spiritual understanding as it is revealed to us in Scripture. Here's the second thing. Gospel-shaped living is worthy and pleasing to God. The knowledge of God's will leads to a walk that is worthy and pleasing of the Lord. The result of all biblical knowledge, then, should be godly conduct. And the primary motive for godly conduct is not that we can live a happier and better life, although I believe that that is a result of it, right? But rather that we please and glorify the Lord. Notice what Paul says here, verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now before we look at the four ways here that Paul says that we can please the Lord, note this thing that he says here, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What is that walk? That's our manner of life. That's how we conduct our lives. That's how we live. And Paul says the way that God reveals himself through his word should be giving us wisdom in how to live, and it should give us understanding on how to approach the situations in life. And it should affect us so much that it should affect in how we actually conduct our lives of living. That it would bring honor and it would, bring, it would be pleasing to the Lord in how we live and how we walk. And so this idea of a walk implies steady progress. If I say I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to walk... I have a certain place that I'm heading towards. Now, I may get detoured, but I'm still wanting to head towards the store. I may have to stop and wait for traffic to cross, 
but I'm still heading towards the story. It's a continual progress as I'm moving forward to where I'm heading. And so Paul says that your manner of walk, the way that you're walking, it should show that there's progress that you're moving towards wanting to please the Lord, wanting to live a life that it's a manner well-pleasing to God. It's, it's, it's what God wants you to do and how to live. You don't get there by a dramatic spiritual experience or a quick fix, but rather by steady, deliberate, day-by-day growth and understanding through God's Word. It's also a walk that is worthy of the Lord. So here Paul is urging these new believers to live in a way that would bring honor to the Lord, who gave himself on the cross to rescue them from Satan's domain of darkness, is what uh, he says here in uh, Colossians 1, 13 through 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So in every situation, I believe a good question we should ask would be, would how I'm acting or responding, would it honor or glorify the name of the Lord? Whatever situation you find yourself in, could be a tense situation in the, in the home, you know, where maybe you and the, uh, the, your spouse are not seeing eye to eye, and there's the, there's the temptation of, I want to say what I want to say, Right? Or it could be in how we are raising our children and, you know, the, the children is pushing the buttons and we just want to make sure that they know who's in charge, right? Or it could be a work situation where you may find it very difficult with a, a, a person that you're working with. Um, it could be another believer within the church that you're having a hard time with. So the, the question we have to ask in every situation is what I'm doing, is how I'm living, is this bringing honor and glory? How I'm reacting, is this bringing honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ who loved me, who died for my sin, who's transferred me to, the, uh, to, uh, to light, and uh, I have forgiveness of sins, I have redemption. Is the way that I'm acting being a reflection of that? What would please him the most? Paul's going to give us four ways that we can please the Lord in all of this. Now remember, this is a prayer. He's saying to them that this is what you can do to honor and please the Lord. So here they are. Number one, we please the Lord when we bear fruit in every good work. Look at verse number 10. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. What is fruit? In this instance, fruit is what God accomplishes through us as we depend on Him. Jesus taught us in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Good works are the outworking of the life of Christ flowing through us as we rely on Him. Although we could go, I believe, into a lot of detail here, but fruit generally consists of Christ-like character, our conduct, 
and really even those that we bring to faith in Christ, those that we share the gospel with and they come uh, to faith in Christ. Uh, we're saved by grace through faith apart from works, but genuine saving faith inevitably will produce good works, as what Ephesians 2, 8 uh, through 10 teaches us. For by grace you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And so while fruit takes time in people's lives, remember it's a walk, it's a steady walk, right? We're, we're walking towards those things, it takes time. But it's very important that if there is no sign of fruit, a person should question their faith. If there's no producing of good works in a person's life, Christ-like character, Christ-like conduct, how we're living, if there's none of that, you should really question whether or not you know the Lord. Secondly, we please the Lord when we increase in the knowledge of God. Notice what he says here. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now this phrase may mean that we are growing to know God better, or it could mean that we are growing by knowing God better. But either way, I think that there is the idea that we must know God Himself. Since God is an infinite being, to know Him is an infinite process. You can never plummet the depths of who God is. But there should be a continual pursuit of God, pursuing after Him, pursuing who He is, wanting God to reveal Himself in Scripture to you, to show you who He is. And so you are increasing in the knowledge of God. And this is something that is very pleasing here. And so we please God when, he, when we desire to spend time with Him in His Word so that we can know Him better. Notice the connection here, because I like this. The knowledge of God, verse number 10 is inseparably connected here with the knowledge of His will in verse number 9. So you cannot know God, you cannot know uh, God's will apart from knowing God. They're inseparable. So if you want to know God's will, you have to know God. If you want to know what God's will is specifically for your life, you have to be pursuing after God on a daily basis. Um, and then it's in obedience to that will, walking worthy, pleasing Him, bearing fruit, is what He says in verse number 10. In John 14, 21, Jesus said this, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. And so if you want to get to know Jesus better, then obey him. He only reveals himself to those who obey him. Thirdly, we please the Lord when we are strengthened with his power for endurance and patience. Now, I love this because I love this when you break this down here. Notice what he says here. This is something that is pleasing to him. This is a manner of walk that is worthy of the Lord. And what is it? Verse number 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So what Paul is saying here, look at the word strengthened, okay? This word strengthened is used in its present tense, not past tense. It's present tense. In other words, he wants you to have strength now, today. And guess what? Tomorrow, he wants you to have strength. 
the next day, if God so desires for you to live another day, he wants you to have strength. So this is present tense. He wants you to have strength for today. So he says strengthen. This tells us that we as the feeble creations that we are are in need for a continual infusion of God's power. Then he says this, all. We are strengthened with all. All power points to the fact that it is an unlimited supply. Do you need strength for today? Yes, I do as well. But did you know that God's strength is an unlimited supply? You, you can have as much as you need, God says here. This is what Paul is saying, that you would be strengthened with all of his power. And power points to the fact that here he says, according to his glorious might. It's literally according to the might of his glory. Think about that. God's glory is the outward manifestation of his splendor or inherent uh, majesty. Often in the Old Testament, we find this where God's glory was put on display, okay? Uh, we find it as being a blinding light, a bright cloud, or lightning with thunder. But whenever anyone encountered God's glory, what was the result of that? He fell on his face in awe and reverence and afraid that he would die. In the New Testament, we see God's glory in Jesus Christ in John 1.14. Sometimes it was veiled, but at other times, such as the Mount of Transfiguration, remember he takes uh, uh, the, the disciples up there and he was transfigured before them, right? And he sees them talking uh, uh, to uh, Elijah there and Moses, right? Um, he's up there and he's performing miracles, uh, in the garden, when the soldiers fell backwards, remember, who am I? And then uh, they said, I, you know, they said, who do you seek? And they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. And they go, <laughs> right? Okay. Uh, these were wicked men, by the way. Okay. These people that fell backwards, they were wicked men. They weren't saved men. Okay. Think about that. So here they are. Uh, they are in the presence of the glory and the majesty of God. And they encounter that right? And it does something. And so we see that, that, that the, the, the glory of the Lord is revealed. When, when Jesus was on the cross, when the sky was dark and the earth quaked, his glory was seen. God's glory in Christ was what knocked Paul to the ground, and he was blinded, right? When uh, Paul uh, was brought under submission to Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul here says that, that we please the Lord, when we are strengthened with all power according to the might of His glory. Now, here's the question. Do you experience this mighty power of God in your life? Now, don't get ahead of what I'm saying here, okay? And don't get ahead of what Paul is saying here. Because we are not strengthened by the glorious power of His might to see people miraculously healed through my prayers. We are not strengthened by the glorious of power of his might to rebuke and command demons. We are not strengthened by the glorious power of his might to see the dead raised. We are not strengthened by the glorious power of his might to preach and see 3,000 people saved. We are not strengthened by the glorious power of his might to see dramatic answers to our prayers. 
What does Paul say? Now take note of this, okay? He says, strengthened, verse number 11, strengthened with all power according to the might of his glory for what? For all endurance and patience. You don't need steadfastness and patience if God is miraculously delivering you in every situation. Now, I, I think this can speak into so many situations, right? Like, who in here has not struggled with depression? Where it seems like the nights are very long, seems like it, things are just not going to get better, just seems like things are just getting worse and worse and worse. Or situations where it just seems like everything is just crumbling and falling apart and it just doesn't seem like there's any end in sight. God is saying here a prayer for you that you would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for endurance and patience through those types of situations. What about having to get along with somebody that you just really have a hard time getting along with? You know what you need? You need God's glorious power. You need to be strengthened with his glorious power for endurance and patience, right? This is, this is, what God want, this is a way that God wants us to live that is well-pleasing. I think so many times we think that what God is really pleased with is like with these giant, huge, big, you know, miraculous things. But you know what God is really pleased with? Is when his children just love him and obey him and walk in truth. That's what he's pleased with. When we take God at his word and we decide we're going to follow it and obey it and apply it to our lives. The word joy here can either go with steadfastness and patience or with giving thanks. Either way, Paul is saying that when we bear up in difficult circumstances or with difficult people with joy in the Lord because of his great salvation, he says we are experiencing God's mighty power in our lives. We please the Lord when we experience his sufficiency in our weakness and his grace to sustain us during our trials. Paul actually gives a good reminder of this in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. He says even because of the extraordinary character of the revelations right, that he had had, Therefore, so that I would not become arrogant, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to trouble me, so that I would not become arrogant. I asked the Lord three times about this, but he said to me, he said, I asked the Lord that it would depart from me, but he said to me, my grace is enough for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So then I will boast most gladly about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may reside in me. Therefore, I am content with weakness, with insults, with troubles, with persecutions, and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. You see, Paul recognized that there was a miraculous, glorious power according to uh, his might that was at work in his life when he realized and prayed for strength and endurance through that difficulty, rather than, God, just please take this away from me. God, I can't do it. He recognized that there was a difference in that. And God will use those things in our life to prove how great he really is. And he will give us the strength. He will give us the endurance to bear through that difficulty.
And so we please the Lord when we bear fruit, when we grow to know God better, when we experience his power so that we are steadfast and patient in our trials. Here's the last thing. We please the Lord when we joyously give thanks to him for his great salvation. Colossians uh, 1, 11, uh, and 12 here, he says, With joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So do you want to know what the will of God is for your life? Here it is, these four things, right? That you are working through these four things and applying these four things to our life. And I believe these are all things that all of us can be doing in our lives. And we can be walking in a manner that is fully pleasing to God because God has revealed it to us in his word. And so Paul says here with joy, with joy that we share, that he's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. You know, the point is that when we go through trials, we please God if we don't complain. But rather, we are filled with joyous thanksgiving to him. You know, sad to say, but we live in a world full of complainers. You don't have to look too far to find them, right? I guarantee you, I guarantee you when you get in your car today, all right, and you drive home, you will encounter a complainer. They might be the one driving the car, it might be the one sitting next to you, sitting in the back, but you will encounter a complainer, okay? Let's not complain, right? But let's rather be joyful about what God is doing in our life and be thankful that we are saved. I mean, really, what do we have to complain about? What do we have to complain about? God has mercilessly saved you from your sins. He's redeemed you. He's given you life. I mean, what do we have to complain about? Is it really that big of a deal? I mean, you're not going to hell. Do you have any room to complain? We don't. So let's not complain. Philippians 2, 14 through 15 says this, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God without blemish, though you live in a crooked and perverse society in which you shine as lights in the world. How do we develop this attitude? Well, Paul's answer is to set your mind on the fact that the Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Remember the gospel. Remember that Christ has saved you. Remember the fact that God has graciously forgiven you of all your sins. Remind yourself of that. And I believe it will help us not to do that. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.